1: Youth for Christ had been started by Billy Graham and a few others, and so I thought maybe we could get this new organisation started in Australia. So I spent a year there in in America. They didn't seem to think too much of me at that time because I remember the director of Youth for Christ taking me in his office and saying, look, we really don't think you're the person to do Youth for Christ. So why don't you go home and do something else because we just don't think you're the person to do it. The Story, the story.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Clive Stebbins has served the Lord in various roles for over 60 years, including several years as the Director of Youth for Christ. He received an OAM, or Medal of the Order of Australia, for his service to the international community and to youth. So he has had quite a remarkable life journey, serving the Lord in Australia and overseas. Clive will share some of his highlights with us today, as he has a chat with Eric Scatterbo.
2: Clive Stebbins, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much, Eric. Glad to be with you.
2: Glad to have you with us. And where are you joining us from today?
1: Uh, I'm in uh, Pakenham in, in Victoria, and uh, I've been living here for the last 10 years.
2: Well, glad to have you with us. And let me also say congratulations on receiving the Medal of the Order of Australia. Quite an honor.
1: Well, it was a certainly a big surprise. I had no idea that I'd be getting anything like that, but uh, certainly appreciate it, and uh, uh, I'm just sort of overwhelmed by it, really. <laughs> Never expected to get a medal from the Australian government for being uh, involved in Christian ministry.
2: Well, that's fantastic news. And it all started back in 1932,
1: is that right? Well, that was the year I was born, Eric, mm-hmm. uh, at, uh, in uh, Epworth Hospital. Um, my mother was, I think, in her 40s when I was born. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was born, she prayed that I'd become a minister of the gospel. And uh, for that, uh, I was grateful because I was brought up in a Christian home. We Mm -hmm. always had uh, uh, Bible studies and studies at home uh, with the family. And my father was a grocer, but he was a very committed uh, follower of the Lord. And uh, so I had a very happy home life. And uh, even as a child, I started a little meeting in our backyard of some of the children in the neighborhood. (laughs)
3: Oh wow! Uh,
1: probably not more than a child myself. In fact, I was probably only about nine or ten, and uh, they used to come every week to my home, and we had a little shed down the back, and uh, I used to share the gospel with them.
2: Wow! And how did you become yeah. a Christian?
1: I first came a life to Christ. So I was up at the uh, what was then the Upway Convention, it later became Belgrave Heights Convention, uh-huh. which uh, shifted the the location. But uh, I was taken up there by my sister. My sister had been a missionary for 20 years in in the Sudan Mm -hmm. with the Sudan United mission. And uh, she was uh, home on that occasion. And she took me up to to Upway Convention, which, as I say, later became Belgrave Heights. And uh, there uh, I first gave my life to the Lord just as a child. I think John Ridley, Reverend John Ridley. Mm-hmm. from Sydney, was the speaker, and he, he later spoke at some of our Youth for Christ meetings. But uh, he, uh, he was the speaker, and uh, uh, I gave my life to the Lord that night.
2: And then also there was a Jewish evangelist that had an impact on your life?
1: Yes, well, that was uh, a few years later, that was uh, Dr. Hyman Appelman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a well-known evangelist at the time, particularly in America, and he came here he was, right after the end of the war and uh, he shared the gospel. Uh, I was in the Malvern Town Hall, and although I'd already committed my life to Christ, I did recommitted my life as a teenager uh, at that uh, meeting in the Malvern Town Hall way back in the, uh, I guess that would have been in the, in the 1940s sometime.
2: And as you mentioned, your mother prayed that you would become a preacher of the gospel. How did that come true?
1: Yeah, well, uh, as a result of that, I was always determined to become a a Methodist uh, minister because my family were all Methodists. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later, the Methodist Church became part of the Uniting Church, and at that time, I joined the local Baptist church and uh, then applied for the Baptist ministry, Mm -hmm. but uh, they didn't accept me, and uh, so I was just looking desperately for some uh, opening for Christian service and uh, so uh, eventually I, I became interested with, uh, with a new organization being started. Uh, actually, Billy Graham had started in America, and we wanted to get it started here in Australia, and uh, I was very interested in being involved with it. And so uh, I started uh, helping uh, and getting organized this uh, new organization called Youth for Christ.
2: Wow, that's how it all started. And you eventually went over to the United States with your new wife to train, is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we'd be married a year, and uh, I felt a real desire. In fact, I, I met uh, one of the directors of Youth for Christ, when he visited in Australia, and he said to me, come over to, uh, to America and uh, you know, do a year's training over there, and uh, then you'll be able to know more about what Youth for Christ is all about. Well, Youth for Christ had been started by Billy Graham and a few mm-hmm. others, Yeah, and uh, it was spreading right across America and uh, even started, uh, Billy went across to uh, England and got it started there and uh, it became uh, spreading around the world and uh, so I thought maybe we could get this new organisation started uh, in Australia. So I spent a year there in, uh, in America with my wife, uh, I, they didn't seem to think too much of me at that time because I remember the director of Youth for Christ taking me in his office and saying, look, we really don't think you're the person to do Youth for Christ. Oh, really? Yeah, I so said, why don't you go home and do something else, because we just don't think you're the person to do it.
2: Why? Why would um, they say that?
1: What were they thinking? Well, I was, I was a young guy at the time. Uh, this was 1957, 1958. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was a young guy, and I uh, probably didn't display too much ability, I guess. I'm not sure why. Huh. But uh, I remember... After we'd been there a year, my wife was helping in the Youth for Christ office, and I'd been speaking at a few occasions when I had the opportunity, but most times I was just doing office work, the, and <laughs> they asked me a couple of occasions to sweep the snow off the footpath outside the office. <laughs> so I was just sort of doing odd jobs around the place, and they didn't seem to think too much of me. Huh. And I remember driving home across the state, so we bought an old 15, 1950 Hudson car, I think it was, I paid 50 bucks for it, and I was driving this car across the United States and thinking to myself, I really believe that God wants me to do this Youth for Christ work, mm. and I want to go home and prove to them that I can do it. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I guess I, I just went home determined to prove them wrong, which I. And they later acknowledged that they made a massive mistake. And, well, that's good. <laughs> some, of, some of the leaders in, in America said, we, we made a massive mistake. They, they were very. Sorry for the discouragement. Yeah, and, uh, well,
2: it's good that they admitted that. But first, you have to tell us the story on the way back to Australia on a ship, oh, oh. the worst experience of your life. Please share with us that story.
1: Well, I still say it was the worst experience of my life. Yeah. We, we're, we're, in those days, of course, to, to go from America to Australia, you, you went by ship. You didn't go by plane very often.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
1: too expensive. So we were on the on-sailing 28000 thousand tonne line of the Aronsay We'd left from uh, Los Angeles, and we'd stopped at Fiji and Honolulu and a few places. And the last place we stopped at was Auckland in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And uh, the captain of the ship told the thousands of people on board, they said, look, we're only stopping here for a few hours. We're sailing at 5 o'clock. Please be back here by 4. And so we all said, yes, we'll be back by 4. And uh, everyone shot off in different <laughs> directions, uh, uh, to have a look around the city of Auckland in, in New Zealand. And uh, my wife and I, uh, we went to a place called One Tree Hill just out of uh, Auckland. And uh, uh, one thing they had never told us was that there, it was a Saturday afternoon and there was a couple of big uh, sports events that were taking place that afternoon. Oh. And uh, we, we came down off One Tree Hill and waited for the bus. And the first thing that went wrong was the bus was late. The bus finally arrived. We got on the bus and uh, we'd go a little bit and stop and go a bit, and I kept looking at my watch and I was starting to panic because by this time it was 4.30. Oh no. And uh, and it was bumper to bumper traffic, and I said to the bus driver, how long before you get into Auckland? He said, well, you can see what the traffic's like. He said, I can't go any faster than this. And about oh, 15 minutes later he turned the corner, he said, well, this is as close to the wharf as we go. He said, you better to get off here. And I said, how far is the wharf? He said, oh, it's about a a couple of kilometres or in those days, you a mile down the road. So I said to my wife, we got out of the bus and I was at the top of Queen Street in Auckland and I said to my wife, I said, I think I can run down the street a little bit faster than you can. I'll run down and try and hold up the ship until you get there. And so I took off down the, Queen Street Auckland and happened to see a little old lady getting into a taxi And uh, I ran up to the taxi driver, told her it was an emergency and the little lady was quite excited about it all and uh, she was quite happy for me to go down to the wharf before wherever she was going. I got down to the wharf and it was about five to five, just five minutes before the ship was to sail. Oh, wow. And I ran up the gangway and there was the the, the purser at the top and the purser uh, was... uh, he said, you're just in time. I said, you can't go now. I said, my wife's still coming. I didn't tell her I had a taxi. right? <laughs> I said, uh, "I said my wife is still coming. And uh, so he phoned through the captain of the ship who agreed to hold it up for about five minutes. And finally that time came and went. And he said, look, you've got to get off the ship now. I said, can I go down to the cabin and get some stuff? I haven't got any money. I haven't got anything. Wow. He said, no, I'm sorry. You've got to get off. So very sorry I got down the wharf. They started to one side of the boat, they pull up the gangway, and I thought, what are we going to do? I don't know a soul in New Zealand, don't know anybody here, as so I didn't at that time. Yeah. And uh, I, I thought, uh, we you don't have any money or anything. And uh, people were all around trying to comfort me, they could see how distressed I was. And suddenly I looked, and here was my wife coming, running down the wharf as fast as she could just at that last minute.
3: Oh, and I wow. called
1: out on the dollar boys, hold everything! And they put the <laughs> gangway down and brought the ship back in. And I tell you what, it was never so relieved as when we got on board that ship, as we sailed away.
2: Oh, wow, that must have been a huge relief for you.
1: Yes, well, I often use that as an illustration about... Uh, Godship of salvation, don't miss the boat.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how I heard it, because you used it in a sermon that I listened to. So that's an amazing story, one that is easy to remember, and a great sermon illustration, don't miss the boat.
1: <laughs> yeah, i that one quite a bit.
0: <laughs> You're listening to The Story. Today Eric Scatterbo is chatting with Clive Stebbins who served the Lord in various ministry roles for over 60 years including several years as the Director of Youth for Christ which is quite remarkable when you consider that at first he was not recommended for the position. We'll hear more of Clive's life journey and more of his highlights when we return. The Story Our guest today is Clive Stebbins, who received an OAM, or Medal of the Order of Australia, for his service to the international community and to youth. The majority of his over 60 years of ministry experience was as a director of Youth for Christ. Now, here's more of Clive sharing his life journey with Eric Scatterbo.
2: So, eventually you became the director of Youth for Christ in Australia, and, boy, yeah. back in those days, those first meetings, you really had large crowds. Is that right?
1: Well, not at first. Uh, it took us a while. Um, some of the people on the committee didn't, were not convinced that I should be the person to lead it, even though I'd had 12 months training in America. Mm. And uh, I don't think they'd had good reports from America. They thought that I was just mediocre, as I probably was. Huh. But uh, uh, as a result of that, we... Uh, we were struggling for a while, uh, a couple of years, and uh, then uh, I, I said, well, look, just give me 12 months, and if we don't get something done in 12 months, I'll, I'll resign and get someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. And the, the board agreed to let me have 12 months to uh, make a difference, mm-hmm. and uh, it certainly did. We saw some amazing things. i never forget the very first meeting we had in the Melbourne Town Hall. It was mm-hmm. 1960. And uh, we had Red Harper as the speaker. He was in a Billy Graham film called Mr. Texas. And he was visiting from America. And the very first meeting we had in the Melbourne Town Hall was on a Saturday night uh, in January. And people said, you're mad. You're not going to get anyone in the Town Hall in January in, in Melbourne. Now, people are all away on holidays. But uh, I I went ahead with it. And uh, we got some good uh, artists and Christian musicians uh, mm-hmm. to fill up the program, and uh, a lot of people came up to me and said, yeah, you're not going to get more than a dozen people here tonight. Hmm. Well, we opened the doors at 7 o'clock, and by quarter past 7, the hall was packed to capacity, wow. and uh, I think we turned about 500 people away that night, and uh, we had a great night, and uh, that was really, it really got Youth for Christ off the ground and uh, we saw a lot of young people give their lives to the Lord, so it was uh, it was one of our first big, well, it was our first major program, mm-hmm. and uh, from there on, we, we got the Melbourne Town Hall as often as I could get it on a Saturday night, and we used whatever big halls we could get hold of, and we started to pack the people in, and uh, often we'd just turn hundreds of people away from the, from the, the rallies. And uh, What we tried to do was to make the gospel as interesting and as enjoyable, uh, if I I can use that word, but certainly as interesting as possible Mm -hmm. for young people who'd never heard the gospel.
2: Yeah, and it seems like there was a spiritual hunger back then, I mean, to really get those big crowds.
1: I've often wondered whether we could do the same thing today, Mm -hmm. but uh, certainly at that time it was uh, quite amazing. And then... Soon after we uh, well, just actually just before that town hall rally, uh, Billy Graham had, had been, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when uh, we saw the massive crowds uh, at the uh, at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. I think that was when Billy Graham packed the. I, I yeah. didn't organise that. I was just on the committee, but uh, the the Melbourne Cricket Ground uh, we turned about 500 people away that uh, that afternoon, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I met up with Billy Graham a few times during the time he was in Melbourne, Mm -hmm. and I remember saying to him, look, I said, we're getting Youth for Christ started here, and because of your involvement in getting Youth for Christ started in in America, I'm wondering if you could possibly uh, give me a a recorded uh, recommendation of of what Youth for Christ is all about. And Billy said, yes, I'll do it tonight, and uh, I'll give it to Cliff Barrows, who was the song leader. And uh, because we had that from Billy Graham... uh, People started to come, and uh, then a lot of the people that were in the choir, they joined our own, uh, what we call the, the Youth for Christ team chorus. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, a lot of those people started getting involved in Youth for Christ, and, and it just grew from there. It was, uh, it was beyond my wildest expectations. And every program for month after month, we'd pack out the, the biggest halls in Melbourne, and the church groups would come in. It's part of their youth program, and they'd, they'd always program in the Youth for Christ Nights, which was normally once a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, in no time, we were packing the, the halls and couldn't get a hall big enough, really, at some point in time.
2: Yeah. So yeah. you mentioned you met Billy Graham. Years later, you met another famous person, Mother Teresa, in Calcutta. Tell us about that experience.
1: Yeah, well, that was after I'd left Youth for Christ, actually, because mm-hmm. I had 36 years with Youth for Christ. Wow. And uh, that was uh, the longest time I'd been in any, with any single job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the, when I left Youth for Christ, I was with international needs, and uh, I was visiting, and that took me to about 40 countries of the world that were visiting. The international needs uh, motto was not to send missionaries so much as to encourage the local Evangelists in their own country to reach their own people for Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I was over in uh, Calcutta and uh, we were with the World Director of International Needs, a fellow Canadian who's or is a New Zealander, but he just lives in Canada now, uh, Mel And he said to, to there's about four or five of us, he said, look, yeah, we're, we just, we're staying at the Baptist Mission in Calcutta. He said, just up the road here is Mother Teresa's place. Why don't we go and visit? Mm-hmm. And we thought, there's no chance that we'll ever see Mother Teresa. But we knocked at the door, and one of the sisters came to the door and said, oh, you want to see Mother Teresa? So We said, well, we'd love to if she's around. I said, oh, yeah, come in. So we went in. They took us upstairs and said, just wait here on the veranda. Mm-hmm. So we waited there. There about five of us. And uh, suddenly uh, uh, Mother Teresa came out of her bedroom and sat down and started talking to us. And so we spent probably spent uh, at least a couple of hours there talking to Mother Teresa, mm. and she was sharing the work that uh, the Sisters of Charity were doing there, not only in India, but all around the world, and she was telling me something of the work that, uh, that she uh, had started, her organization had started here in Melbourne, and uh, so uh, we had a great time uh, with her, and uh, uh, it was just a, an amazing experience to spend yeah. time with somebody who was so well-known.
2: So what were your impressions of her?
1: Oh, she's a beautiful lady, yeah, she really was. She was so humble, and uh, and she was just uh, wanting to, all she wanted to do was to talk about the Lord. And I think there was a a little motto I think I can remember on her wall that said, May my whole life be something beautiful for Jesus. Hmm. And uh, I think uh, that was her motto through life, and uh, she just wanted to share the love of Jesus with the very poorest of the poor people there in uh, Calcutta.
2: So you served with international needs, internationally, for six years. And if that wasn't enough, yeah. then you spent an additional 15 years serving the Lord in Sri Lanka. What did you do there?
1: Well, I had visited Sri Lanka a few times uh, with international needs and also with Youth for Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I was fairly familiar with, uh, with Colombo and uh, with, uh, with Sri Lanka. And uh, I, I had our, when I was with international needs, uh, I had the director of uh, international needs in, in Sri Lanka uh, visit us to raise some funds for the work because she was working among the very poorest of the poor people, in, uh, not only in Colombo, but up in the mountain areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, uh, I'd was i taken her around Australia and she'd spoken at meetings and raised some support and got some, a lot of children sponsored. And uh, I just said to her casually one afternoon, I said, I'd love to just spend a few weeks in, in Sri Lanka just uh, seeing the, the ministry firsthand. She said, well, come, come whenever you can. Mm-hmm. So talking with her further, I agreed to go over there for three months. And uh, having no idea that I was going to stay there for 15 years. Oh, but, wow. Uh, I, I got over there and uh, I was uh, helping in the work in Colombo. But then she had a great ministry up in the mountains, a place called Haddon. And uh, she had a school up there with about two or three. Hun- well, firstly, I was, I was in an orphanage up there. We had about thirty children in an orphanage, uh, just uh, the highest town in Colombo, a place called Norelia. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we we had a great time at, at Norelia. Uh, but uh, then uh, she said to me, "Look, I've got a, 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 a Christian school just down the road uh, in a place called Hatton, just a few, a little bit further down the mountain." Would you like to be the headmaster of the school? And uh, I'd never been headmaster of a school before. I'd taught a lot of Christian education in schools, but never been headmaster. And we had a group of Christian teachers, and uh, so we, the children would come to the school. We'd uh, help them with, uh, with, with schoolwork, with maths and English, and particularly English. I was able to teach English because some of the teachers were not very familiar with English. Mm-hmm. And in Sri Lanka, if you know English, it opened so many doors mm-hmm. with international organisations and kids are all very keen to learn English and we had about three or 400 children in the school and uh, so I stayed, I enjoyed that so much, I stayed there for 15 years and uh, I was back there about three or four years ago and a lot of the children were still there. In fact, a lot of the children that were in our schools are still in contact with me on Facebook. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, so I still keep in contact with quite a lot of them. And uh, when I went back recently, we met quite a lot of the children. My sponsored child up there that uh, that I sponsor. And uh, I, when I left, I got uh, a ministry started there called Wings of Hope. And uh, there's uh, a girl who I mentored a lot when she was in her teens, and she's now running the whole organization. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, she's doing a great job over there. I'm in contact with her fairly regularly, and... Uh, yeah, so uh, the Mukti Mission here in Australia is so sponsoring
2: her over there. Wow. So you have had quite a remarkable life to the point where, as we mentioned earlier, you received the Medal of the Order of Australia for all the work you've done in service to the international community and to youth. And to think it all started off with being told, you yeah, we don't think you're the man for the job.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: what, what do you think the yeah. lesson
2: is in all of
1: this? Well, I, I knew that God had, had called me for something, and I was never exactly sure why. Uh, in my early days, of course, I thought it was uh, the ministry, mm-hmm. and uh, I was always disappointed that I wasn't the pastor of a church somewhere. Mm-hmm. But it seemed to me that God had given me a so much wider field. Uh, you know, Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and I'm absolutely convinced That there's no other answer to the deepest needs of people today than to have God in control of their life uh, as they give their life to Jesus Christ. And uh, so it's just been wonderful to be able to uh, not be confined to one particular denomination, although I've always been a a Baptist in the last uh, uh, 80 years of my life, but... uh, Nevertheless, uh, I, you know, I'm not. Uh, I've never been confined to just one one area. And mm-hmm. uh, God has used me in so many. You know, I've preached in about uh, uh, about forty countries, I think. And with international needs, we visited many needy needy countries. Uh, we were in the Ukraine, and uh, I'll never forget the day we, uh, we were, the time we were in in uh, a place called Vinitsa in the Ukraine, and. Uh, Uh, A group of us uh, were over there, and uh, we said to our communist guide, can you find us a Baptist minister in this town? And uh, a little bit later, she said, yes, I found one. And so so she took us to this pastor's place, and he said, would you come to our church? It was a secret church. Mm. And uh, he took us to the church, and uh, this was on a Monday night, and uh, there were dozens or probably hundreds of people uh, having a prayer meeting. Oh, wow. that was just amazing and such a shock here in the in, in Venitsa in the Ukraine. And uh, I'll never forget sitting in the church there, and before I was up on the platform, a little boy was sitting next to me, and he was trying to say something in English, and he couldn't think of much, and he kept tugging at my my uh, shoulder and looking at me and saying something that he could think of, and he said, Billy Graham. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, Billy Graham. I've met Billy Graham. And then uh, a little bit later, he... he uh, he looked at me and his, his face lit up and he said, Jesus loves you. And uh, I'll never forget that as long as I live because uh, and I remember saying to her, yes, and Jesus loves you too. And uh, as a result of that, I came back to my church here in Melbourne and they adopted this church as a, as a sister church. And they started supporting the church. And uh, the church is now one of the largest uh, churches in the city of Vinitsa in the in the Ukraine.
2: Oh wow, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> wow. So many stories you have, we've just kind of scratched the surface. Thank you so much, Clive Stebbins, for sharing a bit of your story today.
1: That's no problem at all. Glad to thank you for the the privilege and the opportunity of uh, sharing it with you.
0: That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Clive Stebbins, who, as we heard, served the Lord in various ministry roles over the years, including several years as the Director of Youth for Christ. Clive received an OAM, or Medal of the Order of Australia, for his service to the international community and to youth. And it's quite remarkable to think that it all started with him being rejected for his first role in ministry. But as we heard, Clive's story is one of perseverance and not giving up. He had a strong conviction that God wanted him to serve in ministry, and this kept him going despite experiencing difficulties. I think this is encouraging for all of us as we all experience setbacks from time to time. But if we are confident in what the Lord is calling us to do, nothing can hold us back. As it says in the Bible, "...let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up." We invite you to join us again next time as we'll hear more insights into Clive's life journey, this time from Glenda Diaga, who knew Clive since she was a teenager and served with him for many years with various ministries. Glenda is part of a team that's compiling Clive's life story. The book is called Blue Skies, Green Lights and Purple Pump Handles. Sounds like there's got to be an interesting story behind that title. We'll hear what it is next time. Until then... I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
3: We used to have teams to churches where the teen chorus, which was like a a youth choir, went with Clive and the choir would sing and then Clive would preach. And so uh, we, of course, got to know Clive's repertoire of sermons. And we often kidded him that if he collapsed during a sermon, some of us could finish them for him.
0: Last time, Medal of Order of Australia winner Clive Stebbins shared his remarkable story of serving the Lord in various roles over 60 years. Next time, Glenda Diaga will provide further insights into Clive's colourful life journey and will share a bit of her own story as well. That's all coming up next time. The story. Story, just another way vision is connecting faith to life.